Aloha. I have um, changed my tune a little bit. <clears throat> I have found paradise and it is not here. Just saying. At least today. <laughs> but it was a wonderful trip when Jane and I and our family got to enjoy the wonderful island of Oahu for a week and it was uh, truly delightful. And um, I bought this shirt on the North Shore, right by where the massive 50-foot waves were flying in, and uh, thought I'd wear it for you this morning just so that you would all long to go to Hawaii. Hey, take your Bibles. Let's go to Luke chapter 5 today. Luke chapter 5, starting at verse number 1, and reading down through verse number 11. And uh, would you stand with me? That would be great. I'm Fried Zero. Welcome back from Hawaii as well. You guys were in Maui, right? Yeah, yeah. Did you, did you wear your shirt, Jerry? You didn't do it, huh? Too cold. <laughs> it is chilly. I have my coat down in the front row. I'm like, man, it's cold in here, you know? I don't know. We don't like to turn the heat on at Olive Knoll, so, so I don't know. I think it's on, but it doesn't feel like it, so. But it's, uh, it's all good. It'll warm up in here by the time we get to the second service and uh, we get all these folks in the, in the room. Hey, Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 1, it says this. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gesenerat, by the way, this is the, also known as the Sea of Galilee, okay? Same place, different name, but it is the same place. With the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, that, the one long belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that, were that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, by the way, who is also known as Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Say so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Father, thanks so much for your word today. What a great, great story. Thank you so much for the word of God. I just love the holy word of God, Lord. It is so true. It is so rich. It is so convicting, it is guiding, it is blessed. I pray that you would, you would speak to us once again this morning. 
And uh, hide me behind the cross, Lord, that people would not hear me but you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You may be seated. Well, most of you are familiar, I'm not going to read this verse, but um, most of you are familiar with, um, well, I'll get there, the, 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 um, the Great Commission. God tells us to go into all the world and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, share the good news, and make disciples in all the nations. And um, in our series this, uh, this, uh, for the last few weeks, we're in this series called we're, uh, Who's Your One? And a, la- a couple of weeks ago, I was here and we talked about, um, challenged you to, to focus your attention upon one person this year that you're going to pray for, that you're going to reach out to, that you're going to intentionally invite And that ultimately you would want to be used by God to be an influence for that person to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. We gave out at that service um, uh, these these bookmarks um, and there was some readings that went along with it. And I hope that you've got those in your Bibles and that you're reading down through the scriptures and that you're beginning to take some time to pray about sharing your faith. This whole series about who's our one is really all about evangelism. It's all about about reaching out and making a difference. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but there's plenty of seats available here in the house. Have you looked around? There's an empty seat probably right next door to you. And my prayer is that somebody will be sitting in that seat next to you at some point this year. And that we will see the kingdom of God grow, not for our sake, but for their sake, for the kingdom's sake, that God's kingdom would grow in significant ways. You see, I I have come to believe that the longer we are Christians, the less influence we have on unbelievers, the less people we know that are unbelievers. We, we, begin to, we begin to huddle together with people who are like-minded like us, but God wants us to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. He wants us to, to go and to spread his good news and to tell others about Jesus. And so my hope and prayer is that you will experience that in a real intentional way this year in your life. And you can start by identifying Who's your one? Once you identify who's your one, here's what I would like you to do. We've got some three blackboards over here, and I got this inspiration from Jerry's mom and, um, and that wonderful um, celebration service we had a couple of weeks ago. And we've got three blackboards over there, and here's what we'd like you to do. Here's what I would like you to do. Once you identify that one that you're praying for, I want you to go and I want you to write the first name of the person that you are praying for, and I want you to write your full name next to that first name. So you'll see the example over there on the board. It says Jim, and then it says Dash, Kevin Hardy. And um, Jim is a guy that I am praying for. And you might say, I don't know who that person is. So your first job, if you don't know who that is, is to begin to pray, Lord, who is my one? Who's my one? 
Who's the person that I need to be intentionally praying for? There might be somebody who, um, who doesn't know Christ at all, who has never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe they didn't grow up in church. It may be somebody who what I call de-churched. In other words, at one time they were, had a vital, up-to-date relationship with God, and now they have slipped away. And now they are no longer connected to the Lord or to his church or to his kingdom, and they need to come back home. Whatever it might be, but each and every one of us has to take responsibility for our one. A couple weeks ago, I, taught, I, I preached about the paralytic who was on the mat. Remember, the four guys brought him to Jesus, and they cut a hole through the roof, and they did everything they could to get that man in front of Jesus. And you can start doing that by identifying the one. The one that you would do. Now, I don't know if you've ever shared your faith. I have discovered over the years from being a pastor now for 35 years that most Christians have had, never had the joy or the experience of sharing their faith. They think evangelism or sharing the, the gospel is something for professionals. Somebody who has been trained or went to seminary or Bible school or who has a call to ministry or they have a specific call on their life and they have a spiritual gift of evangelism. But the Bible says that it's all of our responsibility to share our faith, to, to testify and to tell others about Christ. I remember my very first experience. It was uh, in Fort Leonardwood, Missouri. Here's, the, here's a picture of the barracks I stayed in in, 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 uh, in, in, in um, basic training back in 1984. Here's a picture of the bunks we, we slept in there. And I remember as I went to basic training that year in 1984, I prayed in the parking lot of my church as the recruiter picked me up to take me to the, to the in-processing station. I said, Lord, I pray that you will use me to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I wasn't I had never been to Bible college. I was, I was called to the ministry, but I hadn't been trained or anything. I never really shared my faith much. But I said, Lord, I want you to do it in me. And I began to pray every day, every day, all the way through basic training. In the seventh week of basic training, there was a guy who lived in a bunk across the, across the barracks from me. I would probably lived on this side. He lived on that side. His name was Mark Fitzgerald. And Mark and I were assigned on the seventh week of basic training to live in a pup tent for a week. It was me, my M16, Mark, and his M16. And we laid in that bunk and we went to sleep. And there were many times we would just have conversations together. And Mark said to me on that night, he said, tell me about your faith. Because he had saw me reading my Bible, he saw that I went to chapel every Sunday, things like that, and I shared the good news of Jesus Christ, and right in the middle of a field in a pup tent with my M16, Mark Fitzgerald accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. I'll never experience, I never, I'll never forget that day. It was a marvelous, marvelous day. But so many of us have not had that experience. You can have that experience. You may water, you may plant a seed, you may even actually get to pray with somebody and see their life change, but there is great joy in seeing your faith transmitted from one person to another through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about that because I think most of us are afraid of it. 
or most of us think that we don't have the skills to do it or the charisma to do it or we don't have a testimony that's powerful enough to do it or whatever it might be. We've got lots of excuses of why we don't do it. But God has called us to do it and he's made it very clear that once you become a disciple of his, a follower of his, you become fishers of men, fishers of women, fishers of boys and girls to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. It's our responsibility and our calling. And it's for all of us, not just for some of us. And so I encourage you to identify your one and begin the process of making it publicly known who your one is and begin to pray. And as we fill up these blackboards with names, here's what I pray, that not only will you pray for your one, but you will pray for your, your brothers and sisters' ones and we will begin to lift them before the Lord because God wants people to get saved. Can I get an amen to that? I mean, those of us who know Christ, we know the joy of it, but can you imagine? There are people today in Bakersfield who are spiritually dead. They have no spiritual life within them. They are like walking zombies. They are walking around in a physical body, breathing air, but they do not have spiritual life in them. And Christ wants to save them. He died for them, and he loves them very much. And so, as we look at this story today, this story that is found um, in Luke chapter 5, we're going to look at the calling of the very first disciples, the very first ones of Jesus. But I want us to look at it through this lens. I want us to look at it through the lens of evangelism, of how we are to be Jesus' hands and feet and mouthpiece to share the good news of Christ. Because I think sometimes we think it's all about us. And all of the onus of somebody coming to Christ falls on our shoulders. It does not. You can't save anybody. Only God saves people. Amen? You can't, you can't force somebody to respond to God. Only God is able to empower somebody to respond. And so therefore, it it's behooves us to remind ourselves that we are just, we're just a servant. We're just a vessel that gives testimony and that loves people and loves God and is not ashamed of him. And by doing that, we begin to see God do great things. So first, inviting your one to Jesus. That's ultimately what I want you to do. I want you to have an opportunity not only to pray for the one, but at some point, have an opportunity to invite them to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And you can do that by bringing them to church with you. You can do that by going on a women's retreat with them. You can do that by bringing them to a men's breakfast in the morning. You can do that by reaching out to boys and girls in your neighborhood, inviting them to VBS. Whatever it might be, there are opportunities for us to be in the inviting mode. But you can't wait to, to invite somebody. You can't wait to start building a relationship until in, at that moment when you should be inviting. You need to build building that relationship so that you then have an opportunity to invite them to the things you need to invite them to. 
Ultimately, it would be great if you sat down and told him your testimony personally and shared the good news. But inviting your ones to Jesus. So, first thing, number one, God is the first mover in all of these things. God is the first mover in evangelism. This is what we call prevenient grace. This is the grace of God that is working in a person's life long before they even know that God is even present. God is at work in, out in the world. He is in work in your friends, your co-workers, your family members. God is not inactive. He is actually moving and active in our world. And he wants you to join him in what he is doing. Notice their story this morning in, in Luke chapter 5. Catch this. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake, this is also the Sea of Galilee, as I said in the reading of the scripture, with the people crowding around him, listening to the word of God. I love this. He's standing there by a lake or by the Sea of Galilee. There's a large crowd that is gathered around him. And what is Jesus doing? He is sharing the word of God. Amen? And guess what happens when God shares the word of God? God changes lives. He changes lives. And that's why he calls some to be preachers. He calls some to be pastors. He calls some to be evangelists. Evangelists in the sense of proclaiming his word. We're all called to evangelism, but he calls us to be He's preaching the word. And he saw that the water's edge, two boats there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, who was also known as Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. So here he is, he's preaching. Simon and his buddies, they've just been out all night fishing together. They are cleaning the nets of their, of the, from, their, from their fishing expedition. They haven't had a very good night. They've been up all night. They're tired. And Jesus is standing there on this day preaching the word of God. Probably Simon overhears him, at least overhears what Jesus is saying. And then Jesus sees these two boats. He, can't get, he wants to get away from the crowd so he can speak to them. So he says, can I borrow your boat? You just push out into the shore a little bit. And he continues to teach them. And what I want you to see here today is that God goes before somebody gets saved. God is actively involved in somebody's life long before they are even invited. So you don't have to bring God to people. God's already there. God's already working. God's already speaking. God is already longing. God is already preparing a heart. You just have to be obedient to do your part in that process. God is actually able to do that. The scripture says over in, in, in Matthew's gospel, this is, by the way, uh, the same story told from a different perspective. He says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, notice that Matthew calls it the Sea of Galilee, where Luke calls it the Lake of Gesenaret. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And he said, come, follow me me. Come follow me. I think too often what we think is that we come to Christ. I came to Christ. Have you ever tell somebody, uh, tell us about when you got saved. And you say, well, I came to Christ, da, 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 and you give the specifics. 
And that's our testimony. But I really think that's a misnomer because long before we come to Christ, Christ comes to us. I want to say that one more time. Long before we respond to the invitation to come to Christ, Christ is the one who comes to us. And Jesus was the one who found the first disciples, and he's the one who says, come, follow me. Today, Jesus is still speaking through the Holy Spirit to people who don't know him, and he is drawing them to himself. He is speaking to them. He is longing for them to come to know him. And God can use all kinds of things. Whether it's a movie they're watching, a TV show they're watching, it can be events in their life, it could be a sickness, it could be a reminder of something they learned when they were a kid, it could be a crisis in their marriage, in their family, in their finances, whatever it might be. But God is going to use all things to draw attention to himself. And therefore, you don't need to be afraid that you're in this by yourself trying to reach the one that God's put on your heart. God is the first mover and he's preveniently calling people to himself all along the way. Now, there's two terms I want to go, go to. The first term is what I call, for those of you who are theologians in the room, have you heard this, the word providence. Providence is how God provides or sustains or sees to. In other words, God has providentially placed me, Kevin Hardy, in the Hardy household. I was born providentially, not by my choice, to mom and dad, Helen and Colby Hardy, from from my dad was from, from Maine, and my mother was from Massachusetts. They got married. They had six children. I was one of those children that was born. My dad was a, was, grew up in a Protestant home, but was not a practicing Christian or even a practicing Protestant or a practicing churchgoer. My mother grew up as a Catholic, but she was a Catholic in name only. They got married and they decided to have six children together. But since they could not decide on what kind of faith, we grew up with zero faith. Providentially, that's what I was born into. You were born into your own household, in your own family. You had no choice over that. It just happened. And so all of us, in some mysterious way, have been placed in certain areas for certain care along the way. I was born in the United States of America. Why wasn't I born in India? Why wasn't I born in Pakistan? Why wasn't I born in South America somewhere? But somewhere along the way, God's providence of sustaining and caring his mysterious will, I am who I am and you are who you are. Today, you find yourself living in Bakersfield. And you have people in your life that you don't know why those people are in your life other than God put them in your life. And you can't make an influence on somebody in Phoenix or Tampa Bay or Cincinnati, Ohio, but you can influence somebody on your street, in your household, in your work, in your school, providentially you find yourself in a specific time and place and you have influence over some people in your life. When I was growing up as a new Christian, I remember the song, you're the only Jesus some will ever see. 
You're the only Jesus some will ever see. God has placed people in your life and God has placed you in a certain time, in a certain space, in a certain place for you to make an influence on others. Most of that you have no control over, okay? Now I realize I moved here to Bakersfield, it was a choice of mine, but God called me here. I never thought I'd live in Bakersfield, paradise, okay? Now, I've discovered it's not paradise anymore. It's my secondary paradise because I found paradise last week. But it's going to be nice here soon. I really do. But so providence is in. The second word is this word prevenience. This describes the multifaceted ways that God meets us. In other words, God not only has providentially put you in a certain place, continues to sustain you, meets and provides all of your needs as you move through this world, but God is also a God who is seeking, who is, who is, who is longing, who is con not conniving in the sense of a negative thing, but he is, he is trying to orchestrate people to come into people's lives who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. It's a multifaceted ways that God meets us. Did you know that Christianity is the only religion in the world that proclaims that God is the first mover and not humans the first mover? In other words, God is, God is seeking us. It's not us seeking God and then God responding to us. It's God seeking us and we responding to him. Now that's huge, folks. That's huge. Because we realize that God is prevenient. I love this idea of prevenient grace. When you have prevenient grace in your life, and you can only see prevenient grace looking back. You can look back upon your life and say, God is there, God was there, God was there, God was there, God was there. And God used all of these these events, these people, these circumstances, these, these things in your life to draw you to the place you became ultimately aware that God loved you, he died for you, and that you were a sinner and needing him. It's exactly what happens to Peter. He's just going about his business fishing. And he finds himself with this guy on the side of the lake preaching and says, hey, can I borrow your boat? Do you mind just pushing out a little ways? Little does he know that that day his life is going to change. It was a normal day. And it was going to radically change. And that's what's going to happen. When all of a sudden you start praying for your one and you start, you start intentionally reaching out, you start, you start loving and sharing and you start inviting and you start eating with and you start having a relationship, you're going to see the hand of God move in the people that you know need Christ and you're going to say, oh, oh God, you're doing some good things. God, look at that. They're going to be like, wow, what's going on in my life? I don't know what's happening. You'll go, I know what's happening. I'm praying for you could I tell you a prayer list is more powerful than anything else for somebody to be on it starts with prayer because God meets us 
Now, who's your one? Second thing I want you to see is that when you're inviting your one to Jesus, humans are the responders to his grace. Now catch this. This is so important. God is the first mover. We're the responders. Notice what happens. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon. So he's got in the boat. He's out there. He finishes his little sermon. You know, he talks. Maybe he's been talking about whatever Jesus talked about. There's a lot of things in Scripture he talked about. I'm, I'm not sure what that day he was talking about, but he finished it. And he says to Simon, put out deep to the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, they didn't, ca- they didn't fish with rods. They fished with nets back then. Just let's go out and let's do a little fishing, Simon. And Simon responds and says to him, Master, I, I always find it interesting, he calls him Master. S- most commentaries believe that Simon was aware of Jesus and his activities and his miracles even before this encounter. And probably listening to him speak from his boat, he was like, whoa, this dude is, he's, he, he's, there's something special about him. So he calls him Master. He says, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, I'm not in construction. I know nothing about building. But if I went up to my friend Dan Prophet and said, hey, Dan, let me tell you how to build a building. What would Dan say to me? <laughs> He'd probably say to himself, though, Pastor, you stick with pastoring, let me stick with building. Or if I said to, said to my friend, um, um, Mr. Nugent over here, I said, hey, hey, let me tell you how to grow some pistachios. I've never seen a pistachio tree until I got to Bakersfield, but I could tell him how to grow pistachios. He'd probably look at me and go, Pastor, You stick with pastoring, I'll stick with growing trees. I can imagine that Peter said, Simon said to himself, you know what, you don't, you, you, you know a lot of things, but we've been fishing all night and I am a fisherman. You're not, you're a carpenter. But because you say so, I'm going to appease you, I will let down the nets. And what happens? When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boats to come to help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. What did Simon experience? A miracle! Exactly right! They saw the hand of God. He saw that there was something not only incredible about his speaking ability and his, his, his reputation that he, but this guy actually did something that I have never seen any fisherman ever do. By the way, this story becomes impactful in the life of Simon Peter, if you remember, after Peter denies Jesus three times, he goes back to fishing. 
And on the water of that same lake, Jesus, in, after he is resurrected, is cooking fish and yells out to Simon Peter. And Peter comes running to the shore. Now, when you start praying for your one, here's what you're going to see. When you start getting intentional about this, you're going to see the hand of God work in somebody's life. Because why? Not because of your abilities, not because of your charisma, not because of your money, not because of anything about you, but because he is going to do a work in their life and in your life to reveal himself. And here's what happens. There is, first of all, an awareness of a sinful condition. For somebody to get saved, for somebody to come to Christ, to be radically transformed, there has to be an awareness of a sinful condition. Notice what happens to Peter. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at his knees and he said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. His first response was, oh no, he can see who I am. He sees my wickedness. He sees my sinfulness. He sees my shame. He's, I'm all my guilt. And when the presence of Almighty God comes upon a person who is spiritually dead, their first response is, whoa! That's why there are many times when you're trying to share your faith or invite somebody, their first response is no. Or excuse, 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 excuse. And then we get discouraged and say, oh, well, you know, God, you're not working and I'm not being effective. I'm just not going to bother anymore. Uh, it's probably politically correct for me just to let them do, go to hell. But no. This is exactly what happens to anybody who is spiritually dead on the inside. They become aware of their own sinfulness. And their first response is, oh no, Lord. That's what Peter said. Go away from me, Lord. Go away from me, Lord. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. And all of his companions were astonished as well. They're all, they're, I mean, the boats are all there. They're all, they're all sinking with so many fish. They're probably saying to themselves, man, who is this dude? You ever hear somebody say, if I go to church, the church is going to fall in? No, it's not. God's grace is bigger than our sin. It also reminds me, by the way, of Isaiah. Remember Isaiah 6? Where the presence of the holy God was in the, was in the temple. And the Lord says, who can I send? Who can I send? Who can I send? 
And Isaiah says, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips and I live amongst an unclean people. I cannot do it. And the Lord takes a coal and he takes it and he sanctifies. He makes his lips holy. He cleanses him, fills him with the spirit of God and sends him out. Your first response is, ah, it's not me. I can't do it. There's then the invitation to follow. After the awareness of sin comes the invitation. Jesus says, come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. By the way, the invitation to follow is an invitation of radical transformation. It's not just an invitation of, oh yeah, let's go have coffee together. Oh yeah, let's just go down the road together and have a meal. The invitation is one, I want you to leave your boats. I want you to leave your life. I want you to leave everything you have. And I want you to follow me. By the way, following was the very first term of a Christian. Not Christian, but a follower of Christ. Jesus never said, hey, do you want to be a Christian? He never used the word Christian Christian wasn't used until after Jesus died on the cross and the church started to grow and flourish. It was follow me. Follow me. I want you to be, I want you to be a follower of mine. I want to be your, your, your rabbi, your Lord, your master. I love what it says over in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Going on from there, he saw the two other brothers, James of Zebedee and his brother John, who were there in the boats. They were in the boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them. So not only was Simon called, but his, but his co-workers were called as well. And he was called to come and follow him. After God had softened their hearts and made them aware of their own sinfulness in need. Have you ever just called somebody up on the phone and said, hey, I'm going to church tomorrow. Want to join me? When's the last time you invited somebody? Honestly. When's the last time you just picked up the phone and said, would you come with me? I want to raise hands maybe? You want to do that? No. Probably because it's not in our practice. Jesus wants us to be fishers of men. If he invites, we should invite. Amen? We are part of that. Here's the third thing I want you to see. The response to the invitation. At once they left their nets and followed him. Now I want you to catch three different places. Synoptic Gospels give us a little bit of an indication of what this means to respond. It says they left their nets and followed him. So their nets are these 100 foot nets they cast in the ground. They left their nets, they said, and followed, Matthew says. In Matthew 4, 22, through 22, it says, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So we have nets, we've got boats, and we've got family. 
Then I want you to see that in Luke it says, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid, from now on you will catch men. So they pulled up their boats up on shore and left everything and followed him. Notice it says nets, boats, father, and then all-encompassing everything. Can I just tell you? Being a follower of Jesus Christ means that you have to leave your old life. You cannot follow Jesus without leaving something. Amen? And sometimes what we want to do is follow Jesus and take all our baggage with us. And we take that baggage with us and soon it just weighs us down. Soon it comes, becomes more important. To, the baggage becomes so important to us that we hold on to the baggage more than we hold on to Jesus. We get down the road and we say, okay, Jesus, I'll catch you later. I got to go take care of this. I got to go bury my father. I got to go take care of my business. I got to go take care of my finances. I got to go take care of my, uh, my girlfriend over here, my affair over here. I got to take care of my little addiction over here, whatever it might be. But we begin to carry. And the longer we carry our baggage with us, it weighs us down. And soon we find ourselves separated from the one that we're supposed to be following. Jesus says, follow me. And let go. Let go of the nets. Let go of your career. Let go of, let go of your, your family. Let go of everything in your life and put me first. Amen? You see, you have to live that way so that others will see Christ in you and that you call them to the same kind of life. You see, who's our one is not about filling a pew. It's not about filling a chair. It's not about, it's not about this idea of some self-greatness that we can say, oh, our church grew this year. This is about followers of the kingdom of God. It's about eternal destiny and real life transformation that can happen. I want to conclude by telling you about this family. This is Casey and Dana Leach. Casey and Dana came to a church that I pastored in Maryland in 2004. We were having a vacation Bible school that summer. And we had passed out invitations through the kids' backpacks in all of the elementary schools. And Casey and Dana were an unchurched, unchristian family. They were a biracial family. They had three boys. This is their three boys. This is uh, um, Josh, Brandon, and Chris. This is a recent picture. They were all little boys. I think he was a little baby at the time. And on Wednesday of Vacation Bible School, we were having the closing program, and their two older boys were in the crowd. They were elementary boys. And Casey came to pick her boys up. And she was standing in the foyer. This is Casey. She was standing in the foyer, and we were singing the song, When Grace Falls Down. And as the boys and girls were singing, When Grace Falls Down, Casey was in the foyer 
with tears flowing down her face. The word of God was being preached, was being sung, and the presence and the power of the Lord was falling upon them. That Sunday, Casey invited Dana and brought their three boys to church. And Casey and Dana gave their life to Jesus. But Casey and Dana just didn't get saved. Casey and Dana began to join the mission of God. And from 2004 until I left in 2017, Casey and Dana went on to help us plant three congregations from that church. Three churches that were planted out of the church that I pastored, and they were on the front lines preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. Dana is now a creative arts worship pastor. Casey is a, is a compassionate ministries minister. This past Christmas, she ministered to over 550 families who are in need of help in the Christmas season, sharing the good news. She runs a ministry called Be More Caring in Baltimore. Their life has changed. He's a graduate from Mid-America Nazarene University. He went to uh, Southern Nazarene University. He is studying to be a worship pastor now. You know where it all started? It started with an invitation It started with a church that was focused on the lost. It started with a church that was filled with energy and life because they were being the hands and feet of Jesus. Who's your one? Who's your one? Or will this just be another 2023 where we sing Kumbaya in church we talk about fishing, but nobody fishes. God's calling us to step up, to identify our one. In your, worship, in your notes that I have printed for you, there is what is called our BLESS series, which we did over a year ago. It's our strategy for evangelism. It's a great little acronym that helps you to identify how to really build relationships with your one. Begin with prayer. Listen. Listen to what God is doing in somebody else's life. Listen to their pain. Eat with them. Boy, is a meal powerful, a cup of coffee. Serve them. Find a need in somebody else's life and begin to serve. Begin to help. Begin to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and then share your faith. Notice you don't start by opening your mouth. You start by getting on your knees. Amen. God wants us to reach another leech family. Look at the impact of three families now with their own children and the impact on the kingdom. It can happen here 
this year in 2023. Amen? Amen. Well, let's stand together. I preached too long, so we're not going to sing that closing song. But um, I hope you all, by the way, will come back for our lunchtime. Right after this service, we're going to have a lunch together for our teenagers and our students. And that will happen around uh, probably around 11.30, quarter or 12. So please come back for that. Don't forget to stop by the, the uh, prayer boards. Write the first name of the person you're praying for. Write your name beside that person. And let's fill up our prayer boards so that we can vis visibly see who we're identifying who's our one. Amen. Those prayer boards, by the way, are going to be mounted on that wall over there. And all year long, we're going to keep our prayer boards before us. And we're going to keep adding, and we're going to keep watching God do great things. Amen? Who's your one? Who's your one? Who's your one? God's going to help you if you'll join him. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his favor be upon you. May he go before you even this day. For your glory and honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless everybody.